0: today I want to pick up where Eric left off several weeks ago um, starting at Easter if you all remember um, we were Eric did a uh, several messages about the blood of Jesus right and the, the power of the blood of Jesus um, the significance how it speaks um, and so I want to I want to pick up where he left off I'm going to Today I want to I say some things that he said, I'm going to repeat them, um, because I, I really want to uh, talk about the blood today, and, and, and even re- as I continue into the cross of Jesus, because both the blood and the cross have a significant place to play in our lives. Um, but today I'm just going to, I want to just kind of say some things Eric said, because sometimes repetition brings revelation. And we need revelation. You know, Eric, for several weeks, spoke about the power of the blood. And, and again, I'm going to repeat some of those things. Um, but the thing that I, I really, as I was thinking about it this week, you know, I love knowing that I can place all of my faith in the blood of Jesus. Like I can completely trust that the blood of Jesus perfectly cleanses me. I can place all of my faith in the blood of Jesus to erase every sin that I have ever committed. Ever committed. I can place all of my faith in the blood of Jesus to erase every sin that I will commit. There is nothing, everyone say nothing, There is nothing in heaven or on this earth or in hell that can stop the blood of Jesus from completely cleansing me, completely washing me from every sinful act or thought or behavior. When it comes to curing the cancer of sin, there is nothing else that can accomplish the deed except the blood of Jesus. You know, the Bible calls sin a debt. And in Matthew chapter six, verse 12, Jesus teaches us to pray by asking forgiveness from the debts or sins that we have created. Do we have that scripture, guys? Matthew 6:12. But Jesus teaches us to pray. By asking for forgiveness for the debts or the sins that we've created, just as we have forgiven the debts and sins of others against us. Every sin, every transgression, every trespass, every time we miss the mark with God, we create a debt with God. I know it's not a fun one, but you can say that's true. That's true. That's true. Every time we miss the mark with God, we create a debt with Him and sometimes with others when we sin against each other. Jesus frames our sin debt problem very well in the parable of the unforgiving servant. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. It says, Then Peter came up and said to Him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Oh, haven't we asked that question? Oh, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive this person? As many as seven times? Well, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, the significance of 10,000 talents is like millions of dollars. Like impossible. Like unbelievably, you have so much debt. Impossible. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. That's a lie. He doesn't have enough years in his life. He does not have enough work days. He has not got enough earning potential to make up this debt. But we'll say anything, won't we, to get out of jail. And out of pity for him, The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him like 20 bucks. That's what 100 denarii is like. It's like $20. And seizing him and began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. That's the truth. He could pay this one. Like, give me till Friday. I can get paid. I swear, it's yours. <laughs> but no. The guy refused and went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. Well, the other servants saw this, and they saw it when they saw it had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported it to the master, who had, uh, all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you millions of dollars of debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt so also my heavenly Father will do to everyone, every one of us, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. God takes the forgiveness of sins very seriously. And we know that he takes it seriously because he paid the ultimate price. He paid the ultimate price for our sin with the blood of Jesus. You know, when we do wrong against God or others, the blood of Jesus is like this heavenly eraser that takes the debt and wipes it all away. I mean, think about all the debt you owe on vehicles, mortgage, homes, school loans, credit cards. Like, think about all of that. I don't want to depress you, but just think. (laughs) Oh, my. Imagine if every bank that you owed money to called and said, we're calling in all of our loans. You have to pay them all today or we're sending you to jail. Now, imagine... Someone came up to you in the parking lot. You got your voicemail. You're listening to it on your way to the car. I got to pay all my debt today. Oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? Imagine someone runs up to you and they say, hey, hey, listen. The Lord just put something in my heart. and I just feel like God wants me to just pay off all your school loans, your mortgage, your credit card, your car payments. God wants me to just erase it all. you would be jumping and leaving and praising the Lord. Some of you would be doing cartwheels that you haven't done for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years. <laughs> That's what sin is. Sin is debt. And unfortunately, you and I, we can do nothing to pay off our sin debt. But thanks to God, thanks to God, he sent Jesus who paid for every debt of our sin. He erased every account you have. Every account. He put in every, took all your debt, wiped it away. And here's the cool part. Not only do you just like, you're not like at a zero, you know, like in that situation I spun, you know, you'd just be like, I owe nobody anything. I still don't have any money. But here's the thing with Jesus. He not only wipes out all your debt, then he puts in like a billion bucks of righteousness into your account. You're not even bankrupt. You're not like at zero like, oh, at least I don't have to pay them my bill. No, you're better than that. You have a billion dollars of righteousness that got stuck into your account. Is anyone happy about that? Is anyone excited? 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You are a billionaire in righteousness. You are worth a billion bucks, man. And not because you earned it. It was just given to you. Here you go. Here's the wheelbarrow full of a billion bucks. I think you could get a billion in a wheelbarrow. I don't know. We'll find out, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> Ephesians chapter two and verse eight says, "For by the grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Say grace. grace. Say faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a results of works, so that no one may boast. You've got nothing to brag about. I mean, in the natural, you may have like, you know, a few thousand dollars in your bank account. You may own some businesses. You may have a bunch of cars. You can feel real good about all that. but the billion dollars of salvation and righteousness bucks that you have you didn't do anything for it and that's the good news that God wants us to tell everyone right Benjamin right every one of us have good news to declare good news that you are rich 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 and it's free Jesus has paid all your sin debt with his blood. And you are now worth a billion bucks. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. Now, do you just, again, I know it's not fun, but do you remember how bankrupt you were in your emotions before Jesus? Do you remember how bankrupt your relationships were? Do you remember how bankrupt you were in your own self-worth? I was very bankrupt. Full of depression. Hated myself, hated my family, hated everything. Before Jesus, I was bankrupt. I had nothing. And that's the power of sin. The power of sin has the ability to devalue everything. In fact, our very sin nature is what made us debtors to God since the very beginning. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 6 We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Say, I am free. From sin. See, Paul is telling us in this passage that the old man, the old part of me, the the depressed and bankrupt part of me has been crucified with Jesus. It's been dead. That sin that lived in me, it, it brought me nothing. And the debt that I had with God completely canceled in the blood of Jesus. paid the price. Now, if we choose not to accept the offer of Jesus to pay off all our sin debt, then guess what? We owe it. I owe that debt. I owe it all. All the sin that we've ever created, it becomes mine to now have to somehow pay. And I'm talking about all of it. Every time we go over the speed limit, Every time we stole something. Everything from overeating to murder. Every foul word, every lie you ever told, every Sabbath you didn't keep holy. Every time you didn't honor your father or mother. Every time you used God's name for anything but praise or prayer. Every bit of sex outside of marriage. Every drug or alcohol you abused. Every test you cheated on every friend you stabbed in the back, every friend you didn't forgive, every outburst of anger, envy, strife, hatred, gossip, slander, every person in jail that you didn't visit, every hungry person that you didn't feed, every thirsty person you didn't give water to. Shall I go on? Anyone feel like I missed you? There's more. Listen, all of it. Every bit of it. If we choose not to accept the payment of Jesus' blood for our sins, then we have the full weight of all that debt on our shoulders. It is 100% our responsibility to pay that debt. And like the servant in the parable who owed a million dollars, we have no way of ever paying it back. And the greatest tragedy of our debt sin, it doesn't just send us to jail. It sends us to hell. The unpaid debt of sin sends us to hell without the blood of Jesus speaking on our behalf, erasing every sin in our account, and then dropping all of Jesus' credit into our account, without that, we are hopeless. But it doesn't have to be that way. We can choose to apply the blood of Jesus to our account. I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, everyone say, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Say, by grace, I have been saved. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And still, Jesus gave Himself away. Oh, it's overwhelming and it's never-ending, the reckless love of God. And here's the deal, if we want to live a victorious life, we have to believe in this doctrine of substitutionary atonement. There's some big Bible words for you. It's what this is all about. This is the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Jesus shed his own blood for our sins. And this is the very foundation of your Christianity. And the New Testament is very specific about this. When it explains the meaning of the crucifixion, when the Bible talks about it, it constantly draws our attention to the blood of Jesus. Romans 5, 9 says, We have now been justified by His blood. Ephesians 1, 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 13, 12, Jesus also suffered to make the people holy through His own blood. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it says, You are redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb without blemish or defect. 1 John 1, 7, The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. Do you see a reoccurring uh, pattern here? Hebrews 9:22 it says indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins so in order to be saved from death we need the blood of a perfect substitute to mediate between us and God his holiness and the sign that we have a substitute is the blood of Jesus And when we look up at the cross, we see the payment that has been made for our sin. And when God looks down and he sees the blood of his son. And when God sees the blood of his son, he says, It's enough. It is enough. The price is fully paid which means death will pass over you. Now, there is this strange phenomenon that happens to some of us who have been saved for a while. A peculiar thing starts to happen in that we develop this need to somehow help the blood of Jesus do its job (laughs) on our behalf. So, in other words, when I first came to salvation in Jesus, you know, I believe and felt and feel all of my sins are erased. And everything's been made right between me and God. You remember that? Yeah. Remember that, how awesome that is? I feel good? I felt clean. I was full of hope then a few years later, I start to develop this thought that somehow I need to now earn my right standing with God. And this usually happens when I stumble or fall into sin, and suddenly I have these feelings like maybe God doesn't like me as much as He used to. I develop thoughts like, you know, God saved me from my past sins, but I need to carry it from here. Thoughts like, you know, I should know better. Like, I should know better than to do these sins, you know? I have to keep up my end of the deal by living perfect. And when I have these thoughts or someone comes to me with these thoughts, you know, I ask myself, why was the blood of Jesus powerful enough to cleanse me as a sinner and save me, but now I feel like I have to earn my good standing with God? It's such a weird way to think that somehow God loved me more when I was lost. You know, a sinner doing terrible, terrible things. And, and I may have even hated God or didn't believe in Him at all. And now, now that I know better, God is mostly disappointed with me. He's either angry or sad most of the time. So I guess I need to help the blood of Jesus out and start trying to perform better. Well, when we develop this attitude, we were basically making a statement that says, again, the blood of Jesus was was strong enough to get me saved and cleanse me, you know, up to my Christian conversion, but somehow the blood is not enough to keep God loving me after I become a Christian. Now, I know no one says that out loud, and that sounds just crazy. But guess what? We live that way all the time. So why do we struggle with this? I think Paul did it in Galatians chapter 3. He addressed this problem. In verse 1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh? Paul here, he's addressing a problem with these Galatian Christians. See, Paul had preached to them the gospel of Jesus, and they received salvation by faith. But now some Jews had come in and to their church, and he was, they were trying to teach them that they had to follow the Jewish law of circumcision to be saved. And that's why Paul said, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? See, the Galatian Christians were being deceived, and Paul was having none of it. The big problem was the Galatians were being led into legalism instead of faith. Let me say this, legalism, and if you're taking notes, this would be a good thing to write down. Legalism is the great enemy of the blood of Jesus. When I get those feelings that God is mostly mad or sad or angry and I try to work my way back into his love, then I, in a sense, sense, I'm denying the work and the power of the blood of Jesus and I'm moving into legalism. CJ Mahoney, who was a senior, who is the senior pastor at Sovereign Grace Church in Louisville, Kentucky, he said it like this, and I like this. He said, Legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God, justification before God, and acceptance by God through obedience to God. That's a mouthful of truth right there. Legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God, justification before God, and acceptance by God through obedience to God. So Pastor Mahoney was he was you know he's he's underlined what Paul was saying in Galatians. Having begun in the spirit, are you now trying to be perfected in the flesh? Are we trading the grace of God and the power of the blood of Jesus with our own self-efforts? So again, do you remember, as we're going down memory lane in so many ways today, do you remember when you what you felt when you first accepted Jesus as Lord? Do you remember all of the joy and the peace and the love and the kindness and the goodness you felt? All those things you felt the day, the first day you received Jesus. Those are all the hallmarks of the Spirit's presence in your life. But listen, all those blessings didn't begin when you first tried to obey. They began when you first believed. It didn't happen when you were all good and cleaned up and doing all your church and carrying your Bible and quoting your verse every day. None of those feelings happened after you worked up a good routine. It was the day you believed that I'm saved. I believe in Jesus. I believe the blood cleanses me today. I believe I'm a new creation. That was the Holy Spirit's cue to get in. And joy to come forth. The power of the blood of Jesus was in full measure washing us clean when we believed, not obeyed. If we begin with God in one way, why do we assume we'll continue with Him in another Why, having begun by the Spirit, do we so often attempt to perfect ourselves in our flesh? One of the chief reasons is because we we confuse our justification with our sanctification. Again, a couple of big Bible words there. We confuse our justification with our sanctification. In other words, we confuse our position before God with our practice or behavior before God. See, the law, it cannot justify or sanctify us. But the flesh, my flesh, it loves to hear that it has a role to play. You can help this thing, man. You can be good enough. Today, I promise you, God will love you a lot. If you do really good, if you don't cut someone off and you don't yell in obscenity, God will like you. Our flesh loves to think the law, you know, doing good, doing right is the answer. Our flesh is hostile to the Spirit in every way, and don't be deceived. It is hostile to to the Spirit in everywhere, in every possible way thinking, I can still reform myself. I can still do good enough. You know, a lot of times we look to our emotions and feelings of holiness or the lack thereof, you know, and feel pride or or sorrow over where these place us with God. We want to add works to help cleanse my soul, you know, get my conscience feeling better. I mean, after all, you know, we've got to work at cleaning the kitchen floor or the bathroom, right? In the same way, we have to work at cleaning our own lives up, don't I? Don't I have to? I mean, how many times do we say, well, I'll come to church since I, you know, quit smoking weed? (laughs) You know, well, when I get good enough, I'll clean up, I'll, I'll come to church so God's lightning bolt doesn't shoot me on the front row or whatever. I mean, we've all been there. I mean, God, you know, surely can't continue to love me if I failed for the umpteenth time in this area. I mean, how many of you thought that? There has to be something God needs from me. Perhaps I, I should, you know, whatever. Maybe if I did this, that would do the trick, right? I mean, sometimes we love to make a community sport of stoning sinners. And so when the gospel loses out physical and mental stripes, you know, we like to whip ourselves. <laughs> we love to fill in the, the gaps that we think we have to fill in. Now, listen, I will say that there is a struggle and an effort to the Christian life. But it's not where we think it is. See, it's not a struggle to, to be holy and practice holiness. It's, again, that's us trying to be perfected by our flesh. The struggle we face is the struggle to continue our Christian life in the way that we began. We stro- the, the struggle that we're facing is the struggle to continue in belief. The struggle is to continue to believe in the power of the blood of Jesus working for our justification. That's the struggle. That's the thing I forget about. When it's time to get busy, Tom's going to get busy. I know how to make things work. I know how to Google every life problem just like you. I'll figure this thing out. I'll fix this problem right now. Pinterest has all the answers for all my problems. No, my struggle is to keep believing every single day. Every failure that comes into my face and says, You stink. I still believe. I still believe the blood of Jesus. I still believe. Oh, the blood of Jesus, you've made me right with God. He's happy because of the blood, not because of my behavior today. I am terrible. I am blowing it up. I admit that. Please forgive me, the blood of Jesus. Gerhard Ford said that sanctification is the art of getting used to justification. Sanctification is the art of getting used to justification. Meaning, sanctification, you get holy the more you believe in the power of God. You get holier and more clean and more right. You, you behave more like Jesus the more you are nestled into the fact that you've been justified. Never works the other way around. Doesn't work that way. You're not going to work really hard at being a good Christian and then all of a sudden holiness is going to come and you're going to feel good about yourself. That's... Does not work. So your holiness, sanctification, the process of you becoming holy, is about you being comfortable with justification. And every day that you live in that place, then it's no problem doing those hard things for Jesus. Because I'm already right with God. We're already on the team together. We're always playing. I'm I'm always up to bat. We're, we're in this together. He's not angry, mad, sad, or whatever it me. Jesus took care of that problem. Sanctification is about forgetting about ourselves and it's looking at Jesus in the way that John the Baptist did it. John 3.30, he said, He must increase and I must decrease. The Christian, Life is always a life of faith. Performance is never the ground for our justification. It is the evidence of it. I'm going to say that again. Performance is never the ground of our justification. It is the evidence of it. You perform best of all when you're fully feeling loved and right with God. It's just the way it is. We bring nothing to this party except our sin. That's it. Nothing. And just like the Galatians, we often fail to interrogate the legalist inside. We don't put him on the stand and say, what are you trying to do to me? to break the bewitching spell of legalism. We have to go back to the gospel again and again and again and again and again. We have to apply the blood of Jesus again and again and again and again. We have to see Jesus crucified for us and we have to see that finished work. Again and again and again and again. You know, Peter learned this when he stepped out of the boat and he started walking on water. What was the point in which Peter started sinking? It was the point where he stopped looking at the Lord and he started checking out the problem that was about to hit him. Whoa. As soon as his eyes turned from Jesus, he started sinking. That's our life too moment you start looking at yourself and thinking, I might be a rock star. I just might be. I think I'm pretty good. I think I'm pretty awesome. I can do this. Thanks. You got me here so far, God. I'll take it from here. You're on your way to be fish food. So listen, when your heart gets in that dark place, and it does, because mine likes to go there sometimes too. Get your eyes on Jesus. Look at him. When you feel like a failure. Dads. I'll throw my dad's Father Day message part in here. Dads, when we feel like a failure. I didn't pray enough for my kids. I didn't kiss my wife 10,000 times today. I didn't make enough money. I'm not successful enough at my work and my job and my business. All those feelings. My kids, I hope they just don't. I just don't want them to be, you know, criminals. That's my goal. (laughs) All those thoughts. Riddle us. Look to Jesus. Put your eyes on Christ. Go again and again and again to the cross of Christ. Because listen, the perfectionist inside of you is going to lie and say, you know, surely I should be beyond this point. Surely I should know this by now. But listen, here's what faith says. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We began our life in God with our faith in the blood of Jesus. And we will never, ever get to a place in this life where we grow or mature beyond the blood. It's never going to happen. We never, ever grow past grace. The gospel is not just good advice to men. It is good news about Jesus. The gospel is not an invitation for us to do something. It is a declaration of what God has done. The gospel is not a demand. It is an offer. It's God's gracious mercy that he will not let us live without his crucified son as the constant place in which we dwell. That's good news. If you believe that, say amen.